The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello there and welcome to episode 328. We're in for a real treat today. We've got a really interesting episode uh, coming up. And before we get into that, if you are struggling with OCD or anxiety, then you can get a free session with me. To get that, you can head over to uh, my website, robertjamescoaching.com. There you can book that free session directly or if you prefer, you can send me a message and uh, let me know about what you're struggling with. Now, in today's podcast then, I interview Dr. Abigail Lev, um, who is a psychotherapist, author, uh, mediator, international speaker, and executive coach in San Francisco, California. She is the director of the Bay Area CBT uh, Center, a clinic that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy to help individuals and couples break unhelpful patterns, de- uh, develop healthier habits, and improve all areas of life. She has presented her research at numerous conferences and her work has been featured in various news outlets such as the New York Post, uh, CNBC, Forbes, Huffington Post, Business Insider, Dr. Drew, Bloomberg News, Very Well Mind, MSN, Psych Central, uh, Psychologists Off The Clock, uh, Datable, along with others. Now, Dr. Lev is also the founder of CBT Online, an online uh, platform that connects people with online therapists who specialize in behavioral therapy and offers CBT resources such as webinars, online courses, videos, worksheets, mindfulness, uh, audio, and much more. Dr. Lev utilizes evidence-based practices to help people who are struggling with a variety of issues uh, live happier and more fulfilling lives. I think you'll find it's gonna, going to be a very interesting uh, conversation today. Clearly, um, Dr. Lev is somebody who has uh, an enormous wealth of uh, experience. And uh, you know, we, we cover quite, uh, quite a lot of different ground. For example, we take a look at the differences between OCD and obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Um, we discuss the differences between uh, rumination anxiety and an OCD. Um, we chat about uh, schema therapy in many different areas as well. So I think it's uh, it's going to be a really interesting, helpful episode. Um, if you uh, have any questions at all about anything that we uh, we, we speak about today, uh, feel free to to let me know. And if you'd like to find out more um, about uh, about Dr. Lev, uh, you can go to uh, her her website. Um, bayareacbtcenter.com or cbtonline.com um, and yeah I really hope that you enjoy and uh, off we go Hi Abby, welcome to the podcast Hi, it's it's good to be here That's really nice to have you on so to start off with could you just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself please Sure. Uh, I am the owner and director of the Bay Area CBT Center, 
which is a group practice in San Francisco, California. And we have several different therapists and we do evidence-based treatments. And I also have an online platform called CBT Online. Um, and this is a platform for clients to be able to find therapists and also for therapists to provide online courses and workshops and webinars and all of these types of resources uh, for clients. So kind of a, pl a platform where therapists and clients can find each other. Fantastic. So uh, it sounds like you're somebody who's going to have lots of uh, useful and interesting knowledge about OCD and anxiety for our listeners today. So, so that's great. Um, I wanted to start off then um, by discussing a little bit with you um, about uh, the differences between OCD and um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. We, we kind of uh, mentioned that would be an interesting area to start off with today. Um, and I don't think we've covered that yet on the podcast. So would you mind kind of telling us a little bit um, about that, please? Sure. Um, in general, I think that it's important for people to know because I see now in social media and online a lot of right psychology topics being raised. And it's really important for people to understand the distinction between personality disorders and what therapists refer to as access one disorders and access one disorders such as depression, OCD, trauma, uh, like PTSD, uh, anxiety, all of those disorders are ego dystonic, meaning that we are not um, our ego feels separate from these disorders. Like when we feel depressed, it bothers us. It causes us distress. So these intrusive thoughts bother us when we have OCD, but when we have obsessive compulsive personality disorder or any personality disorder, really, uh, all of the symptoms are ego syntonic, meaning we are identified, our ego is identified with these symptoms. So if somebody has obsessive compulsive disorder, they are distressed by it. They are uncomfortable with the disorder. They will be coming into therapy wanting to fix the issue. Where somebody with obsessive compulsive personality disorder, they themselves are not so bothered by the symptoms. They might even be proud of the symptoms. They might even go, I'm very perfectionistic and tidy and on top of things. So often personality disorders uh, usually upset the people around the person more than the person themselves. Mm. So often you will, it, I, I often know it may be a personality disorder when I get a call from somebody saying my sister, my brother, my wife, my husband, my, my mom, my dad, that's usually somebody that's not bothered by their own symptoms and everybody around them wants them to get treatment. Mm. So OCD is actually pretty easy to treat. And it's much easier to treat the closer you are to when you have developed it. So if you just develop OCD, it's it's one of those disorders that's very important to start treating very quickly and early on because it's so easy to treat. But if you wait too long, it becomes more and more difficult. Hmm. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder is very difficult to treat. Very Mm. Yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you about that because I imagine that it, it must be uh, difficult to to get that person to actually come in for treatment if they if they don't really see it as uh, as being a problem and it's more the people in their lives, maybe their partner or 
um, a family member who, you know, who notices the behavior and finds it frustrating or difficult. Um, and so if they're not really invested in in improving or, or trying to deal with this, then it must be quite hard to get them on board because obviously, you know, dealing with OCD and learning how to, to overcome it can be a lot of hard work. It is very, very hard work to overcome it and you have to be extremely committed. I've rarely seen a person come to therapy for obsessive compulsive personality disorder or, or many personality disorders uh, without it being uh, in, in relation to couples therapy or group therapy or a family member kind of making a ultimatum, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and does the treatment then um that you would apply would that would that be the same for ocd or would it be would it be different for personality disorder there are pieces of it that would be the same uh like the exposure response prevention would be the mm. same mm. but you would need to help them find their own uh intrinsic motivation so then there's a lot of motivational interviewing and doing a cost benefit analysis mm. the thing is you know one thing that's true of all disorders or all issues that we have is that if the benefits outweigh the costs we don't change our behavior mm. it's very difficult for us to change any i mean changing behaviors and habits is already very hard and you have to be very committed if you have a situation where you haven't hit your rock bottom or the benefits of it, there's still some reward that feels worth it and better than the cost. That person is unlikely to change until the the situation becomes unmanageable, until the costs outweigh the benefits. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, I also wanted to, to kind of ask you about um, the differences really between excessive um anxious rumination and ocd because you know oftentimes i mean i struggle with ocd myself and uh sometimes you know friends or, or they know i have this podcast and they'll they'll say to right. me um okay well I, I worry about things sometimes and sometimes i ruminate on things you know what's what's the difference between you know between that and and ocd and obviously there's a big difference but maybe you can unpack that a little bit for for us please Sure, sure. So, <clears throat> you know, obsessive compulsive disorder is a very interesting disorder because there's a way in which the issue is in the relationship with one's thoughts. Mm. So when we have OCD, we see thoughts as facts. We just see them as facts in the, in the world. Sometimes we even confuse thoughts with other experiences, other internal experiences. So we may experience a, a thought as a sensation, like in sexual OCD, if somebody thinks they're attracted to someone, they actually think they're turned on. But mm. experiencing being turned on is a sensation. Thinking you're turned on is a thought. So often people who have OCD are very confused. They confuse thoughts with images, behaviors, sensations, feelings. All of that is in their head. It's a mm. now the reality of it is all of us have intrusive thoughts. All of us have experienced a thought entering our mind, and we go, "Oh, why do I have this thought? I don't want this." But what happens is. People with OCD, it's like there's an addiction. They become addicted to trying to get rid of these thoughts. Mm, so, yeah, absolutely. Right? It, 
And so rumination is more of a compulsion. The obsession may be an image, maybe a thought, it might be a theme, a narrative that, that c- continues to show up, mm. which happens for all of us. Mm. And then what happens is rumination is the tens- the tendency to try to analyze it, figure it out, figure mm. out our way out of feeling a certain thing or having an uncomfortable thought. Mm. And so often, not just people with OCD, but all of us, confuse rumination for problem solving so we think we're being introspective we're going why is this and how is this and we think that we're problem solving when in reality we're not solving anything we just go going around and around trying to figure things out Mm. and so you know it's like if we're on a roller coaster for example we're having all of the sensations of fight or flight and then we get off of the roller coaster our bodies come back to homeostasis within three or four minutes. And that's true for any trigger. Anything mm. that's distressing will pass in about three or four minutes unless we ruminate. So mm. if I'm having the same symptoms, I'm about to go to sleep and uh, my hands are shaky, my hand, my, my heart is racing. Now I start ruminating. Why am I anxious? I shouldn't be anxious. Is it because of my friends? Is this because of my partner? Is this because I had too much coffee? Is this because I'm in the wrong job? And then the more we ruminate about it, we then exacerbate the symptoms of anxiety and the physical sensations and the feelings get worse and worse because we have more thoughts trying to figure out something that's not possible to figure out. We we cannot figure out in our mind feelings and sensations. It's just not possible. So it's this endless loop. Mm, absolutely yeah i i can definitely uh say that's true in my experience um okay and you know if people find themselves caught up in in these um anxious loops these these ruminations um which i most definitely uh, view as as compulsive behavior as well um you know what are some kind of things that they can maybe do to try to help themselves in that situation to to stop and you know as as you mentioned if they can if they can stop for just 3 or 4 minutes that's enough to kind of calm the system down so how how might they be able to do that yeah if you catch yourself, you're having a moment and you notice that you're analyzing something, let's say you're in bed and you're watching TV and you haven't heard anything on TV or you're writing something, right? You, you just notice a moment where you're caught up in your mind. Hmm. What you could do in that moment is look at the clock and continue doing the same exact behavior for another five minutes. Just let your mind keep doing it and track it for the next five minutes. Hmm. And then at the end, ask yourself, Do I feel better? Do I feel worse? Or do I feel the same? Hmm. And the next thing, ask yourself, did I figure something out? Did I get closer to some sort of answer? Hmm. If you did not get closer to some answer, if you're ruminating, you could also ask yourself whether you've thought about this particular theme before, Hmm. because in OCD, it's very repetitive. The same themes show up over and over again. If you notice that A, no new realizations are happening. You're not getting any solutions. Nothing has been, there's no progress being made. And you also notice you don't feel better. You either feel the same or you feel worse. Then that's a moment of choice. It's a moment of choice to notice that you're trying to solve something from the mind that needs to be solved from underneath the head, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you you move towards asking yourself, what am I feeling right now? What am I feeling and where is it in my body? Where in my body do I feel this experience most intensely? Mm. And then you 
dig very deeply into that physiological experience. So you can ask yourself, what color is it? What size is it? What shape does it have? Uh, what texture does it have? You continue to track the entire experience. And the goal is to make space for it, to welcome it, to drop the resistance or the struggle with this internal experience. Hmm. So you can ask yourself, for example, how intensely do I feel this from zero to a hundred? And let's say I imagine it, uh, I feel it, let's say in my lower stomach. Then I go right now, I feel it at 75%. And then you go deeper into it. And now it feels red. It feels kind of like a baseball and it's moving towards the right. You, you stay with it. You come back to labeling how intense it is from zero to a hundred. You notice any other places in the body where you're feeling it and you continue to track all of the sensations while building a kind of compassionate space with it. And so the more it's like when we're resisting feelings, we're like this, we could feel it in our fingers and in our body, our, our, our um, shoulders go up and we're resisting like this, we're struggling. And this is a, it's a type of mindfulness exercise, emotion exposure, where we kind of, oh, we drop the struggle and we allow an experience to be as it is, softening up to it, allowing it to be as it is. And we may even use self-compassion statements, loving kindness statements, like it makes sense that I feel scared. It makes mm. sense that things are uncertain right now. Mm. It makes sense that I need safety or it makes sense that I'm yearning for certainty and for predictability. Yeah. Or we could even say, may I be safe? May I accept myself as I am? Mm. May I drop this resistance to this internal experience? Mm. So we 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 ne we don't say statements that are about getting rid of it. We don't go. It's okay. We don't say reassure. Often, people with OCD also confuse reassurance with validation. So mm. validation is, it makes sense. I'm scared. Mm. Reassurance is, it's going to be okay. You're going to yeah, be yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And often reassurance will make things worse, whereas validation helps us stay. Stay. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. That's really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, what what are the? I mean, we've spoken a lot on this podcast already about uh, ERP and uh, acceptance commitment therapy, uh, but I noticed as well something else that you you do is uh, sch uh, schema therapy. Mm -hmm. Can you can you tell us about that, please? Sure. I absolutely love schemas. I have a schema questionnaire on both of my websites. So if you go to bayareacbtcenter.com or cbtonline.com, you go to our quizzes and we have a lot of different fun quizzes. I, I'm very evidence-based. I like evidence. Um, mm. And so the schema questionnaire helps identify 11 main schemas that show up for us in relationships and in life. The number one schema that shows up for people with OCD is perfectionism, right? It's unrelenting standards. It's the belief that you and others must meet very high standards mm. and expectations. Mm. What's very interesting, actually, is that the perfectionism schema seems to be the most uh, common schema in the whole world right now. I have maybe between over 50,000 of these questionnaires 
And across the board, people are, the, the perfectionism schema is always the highest. And so the, the other question we should ask ourselves is what are we doing as a society, right? To ourselves that we're becoming more and more perfectionistic and we're becoming, we're putting very high standards on ourselves and on others on mm. a societal level. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really important point. Um, so much of, of OCD no, it comes it comes down to that that hunt for certainty. Like we, I need to know something for sure, one hundred percent. And um, you know that perfectionist outlook when it comes to our particular obsessions is is one of those particular things. When we can learn to let go of that a little bit, um, you know, and that could ob- obviously also be in other areas of life. It doesn't have to just be around the obsession. It's generally speaking, can we learn to be a bit more compassionate with ourselves? And and when we do that, perhaps we let go of some of that perfectionism, and and you know, things become a little bit easier. We become a bit more flexible and uh, open to uncertainty. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, you know, what I really love about schemas are, is that schemas bring it down to the very basics. Mm. So, for example, if we have a schema, we have like a, an unrelenting standard schema. Schemas are core beliefs. So we have this core belief. And when this core belief gets triggered for us, it triggers automatic thoughts, feelings, sensations and urges. Now, if we have several different schemas, now we have a set of schemas. Now we're getting closer to a style. A style could be something like codependence or a style could be uh, uh, maybe um, an attachment style. So Mm. if we have an abandonment schema, a defectiveness shame schema and an emotional deprivation schema, that might show us that we may have an anxious attachment style. Uh, if we have a, a mistrust abuse schema and a perfectionism schema uh, and an entitlement schema that shows us we may have an avoidant attachment style. So when we have a set of schemas and a pattern of behaviors, then we move into a kind of style of how we are in the world. And next, uh, a more ingrained pattern than a style would be a personality disorder. So I often see when people are bringing up these themes that this gets confused, like the difference between, it seems like people confuse borderline personality disorder with anxious attachment style, right? Or obsessive compulsive disorder with obsessive compulsive personality. And so I think that thinking about it this way helps us bring it from the micro to the the macro because changing core beliefs is much easier than changing attachment styles and changing attachment styles or any styles is much easier than changing personalities Mm. and when we know what we're dealing with we could understand how difficult or easy something is to treat Mm. and when it comes to ocd uh you know Everybody with OCD has a perfectionism schema, an unrelenting standard schema. But then where it becomes more interesting is when you look at the other schemas, right? Like maybe there's underneath this perfectionism, this need for certainty, maybe there's a fear of abandonment. And maybe Mm -hmm. the certainty functions as a way to not be abandoned. Or maybe there's this feeling of defectiveness, I'm bad, I'm broken, and, and and this kind of perfectionism functions as a way to avoid feeling broken or bad. Mm. Or maybe you feel like you're a failure and you'll always fail at everything. So where it becomes more interesting 
is when you see the whole schema questionnaire and you look at the schemas in order, mm. and you look at your top three ones and how they all interact together. And it, yeah. it creates a whole kind of character a bit of, of how you show up in the world. Yeah, it's really interesting. Fascinating. Thank you for explaining that. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, something else that we were discussing, uh, talking about today is uh, relationship OCD. Um, this is something that affected me uh, personally a lot in the past. Um, could you tell us uh, a little bit about, about that, please? Yeah. You know, relationship OCD, there's a, an overlap with relationship OCD and avoidant attachment, right? Mm, so absolutely. you always want to do a differential diagnosis and kind of see how much of this is relationship OCD, how much of this is avoidant attachment and really understand what, because the treatment may be similar, but a little bit different depending on those two, right? Because mm. Somebody with relationship OCD may not have a deactivated attachment system, mm. whereas somebody with an avoidant attachment style may have a deactivated attachment system. But both people, um, what happens with relationship OCD is there's a kind of obsession about whether you're with the right person and then ruminating and trying to figure out, am I with the right person, kind of hypervigilance on overanalyzing every moment and wondering if this is the right person for you, if you're in the right relationship. And it does have to do with this need for certainty, right? Because mm -hmm. in reality, we never know if we're with the right person. It's like we never will feel 100% certain. And mm -hmm. so it is about tolerating that, tolerating that space of not knowing if you're with the right person. And it's kind of like one day at a time. Is this person right for me today? Am I going to mm. end this relationship today? And then also providing certain skills, certain evaluation mechanisms for how do you evaluate if somebody's the right person for you or not? Mm. For example, I use values uh, to help people assess their relationship compatibility. Yeah. I may give them a worksheet where we write down your 10 top values. Then we write down from zero to 10, how important are each of these? And for someone with OCD, I have to help them. I, I have to say to them, you could even put 9.6 or 9.5, as long as you don't put 10 important on everything, right? Because the perfectionism was, yeah. and, and being kind is important at a 10 and being collaborative is important at a 10 and, and, and being honest is important at a 10 and having adventures is important at a 10, right? And so you have to, have to really help them prioritize a little bit there. Yeah. And then the next, the next uh, column is how consistent have your behaviors been with this value from zero to a hundred and you rate yourself from zero to a hundred. How kind have I been? How honest have I been? How assertive have I been mm. in the next column? You rate your partner. How honest have they been? How assertive have they been? How collaborative, kind, whatever the values are. And first I help people notice that <clears throat> you must first bring yourself over 70% in your values. Because as long as you are not inconsistent, if your behaviors are not consistent with the kind of partner that you want to be, if you're scoring 40s and 30s on your consistent behaviors, the other person will also be low and you'll never be able to tell 
whether it's that the, your partner is not being a good partner because you're not being honest, assertive, collaborative, kind, yeah. or whether that person is just not able, doesn't have that capacity. So first you work on bringing your behaviors to be consistent at a 70 or over. Mm. And once you're there, you could start analyzing and looking at your partner's values and whether they're consistent. Yeah. But it's very important to help people with OCD not just let go of that certainty, but also have a way of evaluating like a kind of assessment because then it's easier to let go of that certainty. Mm. You just go, I have this piece of paper, I'm going to be tracking it and future me will continue assessing. And if it goes below 70, I'll reassess. But until then, I'm committed to just staying in this. Yeah. And I'm going to relate to these thoughts that try to get me out of this relationship differently. Yeah, I really like that because it gives you um, something that enables you to let go of that rumination in the present. That's exactly it. Yeah, because it's like it doesn't matter what relationship you're in. If you're just ruminating about it all day long, about whether this person's right or wrong, of course, you're going to be miserable. Of course, you're not going to feel connected. Of course, you're not going to, to know if it's the right person. Whereas when you can put exactly. that aside for a certain amount of time, it gives you an opportunity to actually you know, to kind of figure that out. Absolutely. And what happens when you're so caught up in your thoughts, right? And your thought is like your barometer, like your sensations are not your barometer. Your feelings are not your barometer. It's just like in your head mm. and you can't distinguish between problem solving, ruminating, obsessing. It becomes very difficult to actually know how do I evaluate if this person yeah. is a good fit for me? Like yeah. I'm never going to find a person where my mind goes, this is the right person. This is it. That's never going to happen, right? So then what is the barometer? How do we assess this? Mm. So that's why, like you said, it's really important to, to give many different tools and some tools for actually helping them evaluate the workability yeah. of a relationship yeah. and helping them move towards their values and the kind of partner that they want to be. So the evaluation process is not just evaluating your partner, but yourself. Yeah. And then helping them change their relationship with their thoughts, their feelings, their sensations, and being able to let go of the obsessions because we have this tool. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a really, uh, really good approach, actually. I re really like that. Um, I think people are put under so much pressure as well right now by society in general, you know, to find that that perfect person. Um, right. You know, and it's it's often quite unrealistic that you're going to find somebody that is a 10 out of 10 on every single area that you're looking for. And and like you say, often we're doing that and we're looking at, um, at that from that other person without actually evaluating ourselves. Um, right. So I love the fact that you're doing that as well on this approach. I think it's really, uh, really great. Fantastic. Um, okay, fine. Final question. Um if you only had one piece of advice for people who might be struggling with OCD or, or anxiety, what would that advice be? <clears throat> ah, this is a tough question. <laughs> uh, my own perfectionism is like, what do I, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the number one question I get the most from my clients across all issues and disorders is this kind of, Abby, is this normal? Abby, am I normal? Is this, do you, 
Do you see this in other people? Is this how people are in the world? And, you know, when I get that question, I, I feel this level of gratitude for choosing to be a therapist, because then it reminds me the last time I asked myself if I'm normal was maybe like, you know, 15 years ago, like when I first started studying, because now after you study psychology and you see so many clients and you've had all these experiences, you no longer even ask yourself that because we're all normal. You know what I mean? It's like everything that we do is in our collective. Mm -hmm. And so I would want everybody, everybody with any disorder, OCD, anxiety, depression, nobody is free of these things. There Mm -hmm. isn't a person that's never had an obsession, never felt anxiety, never felt a moment of depression, Mm -hmm. right? Grief, insecurity. You know, we all have a, a predisposition to enlarge in one area. Like maybe one person is more obsessive, another one is more anxious or one is more depressed. And yeah, right. But we've all experienced these things. Like we've all had an experience of every schema there is and every disorder there is. Mm. And so um, I think it's really important to remind ourselves that we're not alone in it. At every experience you have, you could think about the millions of people in the entire world who may be going through something similar. And for me personally, when I think about that interconnection, it helps me. It makes me want to improve myself because when I work on myself, I'm better able to help others. Yeah. And when I help others, I'm better able to help myself. And so even in our collective, if you have OCD and you yourself relate to it with more kindness, with more gentle gentleness and more compassion and love, you open up and allow every other person with OCD in our whole collective to also do the same. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a really positive message. It's so, so helpful when we do finally open up to, to people and it makes a big, big difference. So yeah, I completely agree. Um, Abby, thank you so much for your time. If people want to find out more about you and connect with you, how can they do that? They could go to bayareacbtcenter.com or to cbtonline.com. And uh, you could uh, send me an email or or give us a call, but I'm always available and I'm available to answer any questions. And I have a group of clinicians and we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk. When we collaborate with each other, we hold ourselves accountable. And I'm very committed to you know, as organizations are growing and AI and things are getting very, you know, quality over quantity, I'm very committed to really offering, you know, evidence-based therapy with integrity and and honesty and and transparency. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'll, I'll put that information in the show notes as well. So if people want to find that, they can find the links there. But yeah, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun conversation. Thank you. Just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website instagram page facebook group or anywhere else online 
or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional. 